Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you just bless uh, BL and Dutch's ministry. We ask that you uh, continue to bless this show. Uh, let the Holy Spirit lead us and uh, we ask that you, a special blessing upon St. Joseph's Diner and all those who serve and all those who, who, who receive. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Got a power pack show today. We have Dutch and B.L. Meyer. They are uh, humanitarian workers. 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 And they were um, working at St. Joseph's Diner. And my father-in-law, John Shakespeare, ran into them. And they do work all over the world. Just a big welcome to them. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. All right. So, Dutch, uh, I'm going to let, let us lead off with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh I have a wonderful wife, and without that, I don't think I could have started or continued to do the work I do. But uh, for my 50th birthday, uh, Biel let me go to Rwanda as an art project. It was quite revealing. When I first arrived there, I I noticed a smell, and I said, oh, that's quite exotic, until I found out what the smell was. Uh, We were there for approximately six weeks. The very first week, I was with one other Wazunga, which means white man, and we went across the country. There were bodies all over the place. There were bodies stacked high in churches. Mm -hmm. There were bodies stacked high in schoolyards. There were bodies on the road run over like dead rats. Uh, We stayed there for about six weeks, like I said. Women would try to give us their children. We woke up one morning and there was a baby at our doorstep. We had to find someone to take this child because we were just two men. Mm. It took a while, but we finally found someone to take the child. When I got back to America, I, I said to my wife, uh, I'd like to quit work. Uh, I worked as a carpenter. And she said, okay. Within a few months, we found someone distributing wheelchairs, a, uh, an organization. And we went to Kenya and distributed wheelchairs. And that was the beginning of something that was just turned out to be wonderful. Now, Dutch, were you all living in Seattle at the time? Yeah. Yes, yeah, we were okay. living in Seattle. <clears throat> okay. And I found a group called <laughs> you the, Mo- <laughs> the Mobility Project, yeah. which I don't, I don't believe they're an organization anymore. But I went to uh, Kenya with them, and I went to Vietnam several times, which was very wonderful for me because my generation fought a war in Vietnam. Then I went to uh, Dominican Republic and ended up going to Afghanistan, working there on and off for three years, bringing wheelchairs to people injured by the war. When I turned 60, it was time to decide where we could go, where we could continue the work. And we talked about it a little while, and a friend said, how about trying Ghana? So I went to Ghana, (laughs) into a small village called uh, Kwahutafo. The chief was a wonderful man. He welcomed me with open arms, and so we started going there regularly. When BL retired, we, we gave away everything we owned because we didn't need it anymore. We ended up with six sea bags and a suitcase, which had all our earthly possessions, save the fine art. And we found out that was too much when we got to Ghana because mm. we had too much clothes. So, and that was pots and pans and everything. So we got to Ghana and lived in a small village about three or four dollar a day income village 
and we started Yekoanyam. We've sent maybe 40 or 50 children through university. Mm. We have a health program for emergency health program. That's the kind of work we were doing there. Yeah. I, I, okay, uh, let's rewind. I wanted to, when you were 50 and you, you had gone to Rwanda, right? Yes. Uh, well, prior to that, what, 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 I mean, everyone wants to know. I know my father, ask him how, how did they start in all this? You know, what, what is it that, that had you been on international trips prior to that? Well, I've been on international trips. I was in the military, but I uh, but uh, not missionary, not this yeah. sort of trip. Mm-hmm. The trip initially was a uh, to be a witness to something that was terrible. Mm-hmm. It, this all happened in a hundred days. Almost uh, eight hundred thousand people were killed by very primitive methods. If you had three dollars, you can buy a bullet so they would shoot your child mm-hmm. rather than throw your child in the air and catch him on a sharpened stick. Now, that's quite a, something to think about. And they would throw the victims in the toilet, the outdoor toilets, and use them. They would beg people to, you know, shoot me fast, but they don't do that. They, they would chop people's heads off to see what a smart man's brains look like. I mean, it was really, it was really things that we, we can't imagine because we don't, we don't live like that. We don't live like that. And when we got to the university, there was, it was two groups: the Hutus and the Tutsis. It was a made-up thing by the Belgians, as to the the Tutsis were a little taller, aquiline. The the Hutu it was more squat, thicker lips, broad nose. But we're all the same. They were married. They, it was husband and wives until this schism, and it happened quite fast. And it and it and we watched it happen, and no one did anything. And about what year is this? The year two thousand. Okay, and 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 did you know what you were getting into when you when, when you, I went there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you why that I went. One, that's why you went. Yeah. And and how do you even get into a place like that? Is, well, the, the genocide took place in 1994, mm-hmm. but still, it was going on. The killing was still going on. The bodies weren't taken away; they were left in situ in the in the in the uh, place where they were killed as a memorial. Uh, they they're not going to remove them. When we got there, they were just excavating a pit that had over 100,000 victims in it. The man doing the excavating was with his bare hands. He was pulling out the bones. Mm. And a boy was carrying it in a sack. And as he walked past me, something dropped out of the sack. And I leaned down to pick it up, and it was the skull of a human being. And I, I couldn't quite pick it up because something in me just didn't allow me to do it. But I took photos of the whole thing, and, and I still have them. And I, they're awful. So, I mean, this is like the devil incarnate. Uh, what mm-hmm. you're looking at. How is your faith life at this time in your life? And and what, and are you seeing the devil clearly? Yes, you did see the devil clearly. Yeah. And uh, the man I was with, we would wake each other up shouting in the night because it, it would bother you so much. Now, religion entered into it in a strange way in that the, a lot of the ministers, and, and I hope I'm not being offensive here, would call their, their people in and tell the, um, 
the Hutu, the Tutsis to leave and then tell the Hutus, or to tell the Hutus to leave and then tell the Tutsis to pray for the immortal souls, as they call the militia in. Mm-hmm. And the people were slaughtered in the church. Mm. Now that's hard. So this is a holy war, somewhat. <laughs> well, they use religion in a, in a bad way. They lose except. Yeah. And, and I have to also add that the mosque was the only place where they wouldn't allow them to come in. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of respect for that. But it was it was just awful, you know, to and to hear the stories and to see the peoples, the way they reacted. Today, Rwanda is one of the wealthiest countries in Ghana. It's in it, Africa. It's yeah. in Africa. I'm sorry. It just uh, exploded with people's guilt over what happened. Be it. Uh, Dutch's wonderful wife, Biel, is here whispering. Uh, I wanted to talk a little louder. You know, she, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank I'm you very happy here. to be here. She's an angel and doing God's work. And and, uh, and I want you to jump in here a little bit and tell us what, from your perspective how all this was going down while, while he's there. Well, originally he was traveling with another artist who was um, a photographer. And he was going to try to make portraits of women who had had to kill their children in order to keep them from being killed in a more brutal way. Hmm. And one by one, he took those portraits. And in the meantime, Dutch was also doing fine art at the time, and they had already had a, a, an art show booked. In When they came back, they were going to mount it in Portland, Oregon. And when that show came together when people came in to go room to room to see the portraits of what they called the genocideers, because it's a French-speaking country, other, other than uh, Swahili. Um, it, was, it was so profound, and it was from that point on that we could never look at our lives the same way as we had before. I had long been working in the medical field uh, with children's medical equipment, um, building a company that in the end became my own, um, specializing in equipment, mobility equipment for children. And so it was a a stark beginning to a a life of working in in the humanitarian field as soon as I could fully retire. And so that's, that's where it... That's where the source of it was. It was absolutely such a stunning revelation to us that two neighbors, neighbors could rise up and on command from someone who decided that one group was superior to the other could rise up and kill each other, almost a million people in 100 days. And the saddest thing in the world was that the United Nations, everyone was calling for help. We got to get help over there, and yet it, it didn't happen. Most people didn't even understand it at all until a, a Hollywood film was made, the, the Hotel Rwanda. Yes. And honestly, we watched that film, and it was in, entirely realistic of what Dutch saw there six years after the genocide. Wow. So we, after that, the decision was made when I retired, we were going to divest ourselves of our home in Seattle, we were going to sell it, we were going to pack up, and we were going to go somewhere, put our feet on the ground, and help people. And not because we had a lot, but because we had enough. And so many people in the world, one-fifth of the world, lives in abject poverty. 
which is truly the source of most of these issues. How awesome is that? Uh, remind our listeners, you're listening to Cajun Catholics, and today's guest is BL and Dutch Meyer. And um, they are from Seattle, Washington, but have done mission work all over the, all over the world. And uh, they came to the show because they both ended up at St. Joseph's Diner. And I, I guess they're Lafayette residents now. Y'all are, y'all? Yes, we are. All right, so you're, you're, you're unofficial Cajuns. And, uh, and so what, tell us a little bit about what the Cajun culture is like for you guys being, being not from here. Dutch? Well, I was I was raised. Oh, that's here. right. You're, that's right. Okay. Well, tell them where you're from. I was raised in Napoleonville. Okay. But uh, I left I left uh, Napoleonville pretty young and went to the military, 18, 19, and then came back for a short period of time. But I've roamed since then. But now now our our life is pretty much we spend as much time as we can in Ghana, West Africa, doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work at a place called the Orthopedic Training Center with children who were born with uh, no arms, no legs, stuff like that. And five years ago, I got malaria. And as a result, they had to amputate my hands, mm-hmm. uh, my toes, and a blood clot on my brain. But luckily, we were on our way back to America, and we had to stop in Great Britain. And I was in a British hospital for 85 days. And they did a good job? Oh, they did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the, the thing is, if I hadn't done the work that we were doing, I would have felt terribly sorry for myself because of the injury. But we work with children that were born this way, and they're loving. Uh, we, we see children that are far more disabled than I will ever be, in, and I'm over 70, so it's... It's a cakewalk, thanks yeah. to these children. I want to share with our listeners, and this moved me to tears before I met you guys, but my father-in-law says, I have this gentleman and his wife out at St. Joseph's Diner, and he's serving food with no hands. <laughs> and, um, you know, just that image, um, I tell you, it, it makes me feel really low, uh, and I know our listeners out there can imagine, you know, what can we do w- with full, with full extremities and, and, and this gentleman's out here given everything he has with, with serving food with no hands and uh and and the, and with my father-in-law and i would like how do you get to this point in your life you know and obviously something very profound has happened but you know you must have an incredible and just incredible compassion you know well it's it's you know when you see so much evil and you see so many people that don't have and you realize that you don't need so much to get by not to just get by to live Mm -hmm. and we're fortunate we 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 we, we're sort of disease free (laughs) we're you know we're in our 70s now we've had a good life um and we can give back. We're not wealthy, but you don't need to be to help. You just need a little bit understanding of another person's problem. Now, you never pass. We live in a village for a while that was like 3 or $4 a day income. The people squat on the ground outside cooking their evening meal. We never will, even now, we never pass a person squatting on the ground where they don't say, you are invited. Mm. You are invited to sit down there and eat 
out of a common bowl with a total stranger of another race, everything, another faith, everything. And I have to ask myself, would I do that? And I walk down and I see some people some days and I don't know that I would invite them into my house. That's a very, God, that's a hard thing. But it's, it's thrown up at you every day. So I have a few questions like, is it the fear uh, that, that uh, you know, the evil that drives your philanthropy, you know, or is it the hope for better or, or you know, or good? Uh, that's one question I would certainly ask you. Oh, it's not fear. No, no fear. Because obviously no. you're, you're going to all these places and I would be a scaredy cat, but, uh, you know. No, I was scared the uh, first time when a man shoved a gun into my chest and said, Wazunga's the next. And I started uh, peeing in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend Bob says, walk around him. I said, I can't walk around him, I'm peeing. <laughs> oh my, pee around him. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of, that I said, okay, that's, that's scary. I, I don't, I'm gonna try not to be scared again. And then I found out that all people welcome you if you're there for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Now. When I worked in Afghanistan, I would have to meet with the Afghanistan leaders of the community. I would, I would let my beard come in gray. Now, life expectancy for a man is 47. I'm old compared to the people there. So I would let my hair grow long. I would dress in a shower kameez, and I would go sit down and talk with these people. And they would, they would ask, why isn't he talking? And they said, well, he's an American. They said, no, he's, he's somebody. They used another term. And they said, no, he's an American. And so um, they would tell me, you know, you're not here to talk about your country. I said, no, you're not here to talk about your religion. I said, no, I'm here to help the people that need help. Mm-hmm. Come, while you're in my village, no harm will come to you. I thought that was beautiful. And the only thing that was kind of strange is if, a, a boy brought a, his mother in in a wheelbarrow, I would have to ask that boy's permission to touch his mother. Mm-hmm. If he said no, quite simply, you call the next person in. But the work there was very rewarding. Uh, God, I loved it. Uh, but again, it's not a place to bring my wife. Yeah, It's yeah. not a place for women. Over the, over the years, as we discussed, where would we go if we, when we retired, we wanted to do full-time voluntary work? And uh, because Dutch had been working in Afghanistan for several years by then, we thought of that, but realizing that in re- out of respect for their culture, I wouldn't be able to physically touch anyone. And if that's the case, we can't do the work we do because it requires hands-on when you're fitting a a child or an adult for mobility equipment, we, um, we absolutely have to be able to touch people. And so we had to rethink where we might be able to go that we could work together, um, live there, and be full-time volunteers where I could be actively involved. And we can talk more about some of the other projects and programs that we've started and run over the years in both in TAFO and now at the Orthopedic Training Center. Yeah, you're listening to a two-part series today. Uh, BL will be the concentration in next week's show, and please tune in because uh, this story just needs to be told. 
we, I, you know, we certainly want to find out how we can help, and uh, and and also how how do you afford to get around to these, and, and can 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 we help you? Certainly, as a question, I have a question though because we love a Cajun love story. How did y'all meet? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> we were. Uh, I was uh, in, in went down to Saint Croix with a uh, family to work. And I was repairing a swimming pool deck around uh, a restaurant that BL and two partners were running. And she came out and bought me a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you guys? 30. Just almost 30. No, 30. we weren't quite 30. We okay. weren't quite 30. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. That was it. Love at first sight. And how long have y'all been married? They got to think, oh, man, I stumped them on that one. It's been a long time, right? Long yes, 44. Time. Beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And, you know, uh, did you ever imagine your life would turn out this way? No. <laughs> uh, but it's been wonderful. It's, it's just an amazing feeling. You know, we've got – we were made chiefs. In a, in, a, in a community in Ghana. We have, you know, the, 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 the things that come your way because, because you give, that's mm -hmm. all. And no, we're not mm -hmm. wealthy. We, we, <laughs> we, we hope we have enough to make it till the end. <laughs> <laughs> but also the, the, <coughs> the respect that was, has been given to us to be fully accepted into another culture which does things quite differently than we do, um, especially when it comes to um, when you're bringing something to it to the education system and you may see something from a different perspective and to be able to honor their culture and at the same time try to help things move forward. So it's a very, very interesting thing to, to be able to be part of. All right, talk about your ministry and, and how others can help. Either way. All right. Um, we, st uh, we, be we began by establishing a, a U.S. charity called Yekoanim. That means Y-E-K-O-A-N-I-M. And Dutch uh, picked that name for the organization because it means, in the Chui language, it means I go or you go forward to make progress. So we decided to put, make that be the name of our organization. And at the time, we were in a smaller town, and we had some great accomplishments um, through Yeko and M because people in America could donate to our to Yeko and M and receive a tax donation because we're we're a program of a registered 501c3, and that made it so that we could do things like we started in that town an adult literacy project. You cannot imagine when 27 people come in when you say you're going to do this and all they want to be able to do is read the the slip of paper that the that the teacher sent home with their child from school but they never learn to read and write in their own language let alone in the english language mm -hmm. which the children have to learn so it was a very um the adult literacy project we we felt was a huge move forward we always have looked after the elderly in the town by purchasing their um, health insurance cards for them. But with the, along with the adult literacy program, <clears throat> we, 
when the, it was mostly women, one brave man, when they when they completed the program, they they would get a micro loan to start a business. Wow! Explain what a micro loan is. Micro loans can be as small as a hundred dollars, and in order to do that, they had to be able to write a rudimentary business plan in English, including the basic numeracy. How much if I'm going to sell bags of water? What do they cost me, and what do I need to sell them for? And how am I going to make my business more attractive? How am I going to promote my business? And interestingly enough, the program that I contacted in order to become familiar with the best way to do this was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who has a huge uh, philanthropy in Africa. And they had adult literacy projects, which we were able to then team up in the beginning with them so that they could help us on every step of the way to do this in a way that was culturally acceptable in Ghana. So as the divine word missionaries, this is different than... Yes. That's a different that's, philanthropy. That's later. That okay, yeah. all right. That's going to be on part two. Okay. Uh, so, well, Dutch, um, this has come up in my life recently. Like it's God's put on my heart. Like it's important. Like where I I'm, I would be buried. I don't know why. And my mm-hmm. mother, it was it was important to her. And I hear a lot of people talk about whether they would be cremated or not. And and this is something that's been the Holy Spirit's been putting on my heart. Does it? Do you guys have something like that planned out? Does it matter to you? Where where will you ultimately rest? <laughs> I thought about it a lot because. Uh some of the places I had to go were, were not exactly safe. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, 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 Maybe Lafayette? I, no? No. no. <laughs> uh, wherever BL ends up or wherever I end up, I hope we're together. <laughs> of course. I think that's a given. But uh, I don't uh, No, It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen so many people thrown away literally thrown away uh i've seen it everywhere though i mean it's just not yeah it's just not in one country it seems it happens a lot where we where we seem to respect people's remains so much in many parts of the world it 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 happened through violence it happened through People arguing about faith, people arguing about money, people arguing about, oh, just stuff that's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have sort of the same goal in life. We want our children to grow up and be able to, to come down the road in peace. We don't, but somehow we seem to have been, we seem to have gotten locked on to this, how much can we get? And we can only get so much, and we can only use so much. Uh, I wish I were wealthy. I, I would. Uh, I think we could do great things with a little bit of money. But yeah. like we just had a a girl come to the to the OTC where we work. She had a hole in her heart. Now we needed to get nine thousand dollars right away because this operation had to go by. Right. Luckily, we raised it in a little under two weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. But 
that's a little bit of money in the big scheme of things. Right, and look how far it went. Yeah. So so we're going to have to close out today's show. Again, we, we'd certainly invite you to tune in next week. They're going to be on again, and we'll certainly be featuring BL and Dutch. Uh, and I uh, appreciate you listening to Cajun Catholic say Thank you all for being on the show. Oh, well, thank uh, you for having us, again, Tune in next week because it's, it's going to be a power-packed uh, closing on them because they're doing so much of God's work. So, again, we challenge you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next time, God bless.